Now, the general theme of the book of Hosea is redeeming love. It, it is the love uh, that God has for us. When He saves us, He redeems us. As we look at Hosea chapter 1 tonight, we're going to go straight through that first chapter of Hosea and look at his, uh, his children and, the, and his children being born and what it means to us, the church. Uh, we see a story of Israel's unfaithfulness. And it is no the lie if you look at the church today as a whole, while they are saved by faith or saved by grace through faith, that they are not always faithful in their actions. Uh, a lot of times Christians, um, they'll get saved and they'll be on fire for God and they'll seem real faithful, be doing good, and suddenly things creep into the fold and they find themselves to be unfaithful at that point. And we're going to see what Hosea shows us through the nation of Israel, which were no different. They were the same way. They were God's chosen people. They did all these things and they keep... Falling by the wayside, keep losing faith and worshiping false idols and bell worshiping, all these things. Our people may not be having an actual idol somewhere they're worshiping, but when they stay, you know, stay home, watch TV instead of going to church, or uh, they spend time on, on whatever instead of reading the God's word or praying or or whatever they use to put before God, that is their idol worship. That is their unfaithfulness. But in many ways, people are unfaithful. But we'll start Hosea chapter one, verse one. And the Bible says, The word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass as that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Lahuramah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Luhurama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Luami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured, not numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come upon the, house, the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we pray the blessing be upon the reading of your word. We pray, Lord, for the filling of your spirit tonight, Lord, that you give us the anointing we need to preach your word in truth, Lord, as revealed to us by your spirit. We pray, pray Lord, your spirit would dwell amongst us, Lord. Prepare hearts and minds to be receptive to your Lord, to your word, Lord, that would move amongst us, Lord. And Lord, let us decide to be more faithful to you in our everyday lives. We love you and praise you, Lord. Lead and God and direct us, Lord. That everything we say and do tonight be pleasing unto you. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So we look at the word tonight. We're going to divide it up into five different points here. And the first thing we need to see in verses 1 through 2 is that the Lord saves even knowing of our unfaithfulness. 
when we see Lord speak here to Hosea and he tells him to take a wife of whoredoms who will be have children of whoredoms, he is telling Hosea, listen, when you marry Gomer, she's going to be unfaithful. She's going to cheat. She's going to be infidelity. It's the picture of Israel. Because God made Israel his chosen people and was not fooled by Israel's behavior. You see, God is not fooled by things that take place. He's not tricked. He's not deceived. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what is happening. He knows what has happened. So when Israel sinned against God and turned to false gods, God knew all that was going to happen from the very moment that He made the covenant with Abraham. In the same way when God created the covenant with the church, when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and, and paid the price that that Gentiles and Jews and everyone around the world that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ could be saved, he knew that would not be the end of sin. He knew the moment you found Christ that when you were saved, you were not going to hit a thousand every day. You were not going to be perfect every single day. But yet he saved you. He saved me knowing of all the times in my life that I would be unfaithful. Of all the weak moments you were going to have. Of all the times you were going to sin. Times that you were going to be downright ugly. He still saw fit to reach down and save you. To woo you. To intercede on your behalf. You see, he paid the price and bought a broken vessel that day. But as he bought the broken vessel, he is also faithful and true. That when, Even when we mess up, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. He has a desire to intercede for us when we make these mistakes. How wonderful and amazing is the grace of God, that the amazing grace covers all our imperfection, all our faults and failures, that we are not saved because of keeping of the law, we're not saved because of religion and tradition, but we are saved because of the amazing grace of God and the price paid with the atonement on Calvary. That the precious blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us even though we are just human in the flesh. The Bible tells us that we are to war against our flesh as much as possible. But it also goes on to tell us that we're going to fail. The Bible says if a man says he's without sin, he's a liar. It's as simple and plain spoken as that. But yet God still loves us. Romans chapter 8, toward the end of that chapter, it goes through a list of things. And what the point of the message is there, or the scripture is, that nothing separates us from that love. God loves us for our faults. God loves us for our blemishes. And we all have them. It's the same way with us and our children. Our children sometimes are unruly. Our children sometimes are unfaithful. Our children sometimes are hurtful. Yet we love them because they are ours. Church, Christians, you are children of God and all the same, even with your spiritual adultery that we all commit from time to time, the love of God is still upon you. When there are times that we, we, we may lay out a church or times that we may say things we ought not say and, and do things we ought not do, times that, to be honest, we're just downright ugly in our behavior, God still loves you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He goes with you all the way. The Bible promises us that. Now in my feeble human mind, I can't understand why God's that good to me. I praise God that He is, but I don't know why He is. Because I couldn't say in my human flesh, I could treat a man as good as God treats me. I can't do it. I would hold grudges. I would be angry. I, 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 would, I, would, I would never, I would take away all the blessings that, that I've received. But what does God do? God loves us back to repentance because that's God.
we see in verses 3 through 5 that even though people, uh, uh, when people don't fully obey God, this is a perfect example of that unfaithfulness. You see, when we talk to the story of that son Jezreel, Jezreel means God scatters. Sometimes our spiritual life is very much scattered. And, and the writer there goes into a story about King Jehu. Now, King Jehu massacred enemies of Israel. So he went about and he was doing God's work. He went about and he massacred Ahab and Queen Jezebel and, and King Jehoram and many of the prophets of Baal. And he was going about doing what God had called him to do. And you look at that story and say, well, that's pretty good. He must have his life in order. He must be pleasing God. He is following God. But there's a problem with Jehu. Jehu went too far in that valley that day. Not only did he do the things and kill the people that God told him to take care of, he also became more of a judge than what he ought to be. He started taking, he killed Isaiah and 42 of his relatives. He overstepped the authority that God gave him and at that point became disobedient. He followed God but did not follow God to the letter. Did not follow God leading entirely. He done the things that he in the flesh wanted to do as well. Sometimes we're following God but we're not following the Spirit faithfully. God calls us to do something with you, all right, sounds pretty good, I'll do that. Those are the easy things. Okay, well, I'll take care of that. But then we start going into the flesh. Maybe we're, we're, we're serving God and we're visiting people and you say, you know what, I'm just really good at doing this. I'm going to go down there and visit this guy down here too. I'm not, you know, not that you feel led to it, but you just think you're real good and puffed up. And all of a sudden things start falling apart. The ministry starts to crumble. And what happens? You got outside the will of God. We need to make sure that we pay special attention to abiding God's will. One reason I ran from the calling to preach for so many years is I didn't want to be outside of God's will. That's a terrifying place in my mind to be. Because once you do that, you find yourself get weary in well-doing. You find yourself spiritually scattered. You start to lose focus on what your God's called you. Our ministry should be laser-focused. This is what God has called me to do. This is where God has planted me. I will follow faithfully and I will do as He asks. But all of a sudden we start wanting to be like a shotgun effect. We want to be everywhere and do everything. And we get weary and well-doing. And while we are trying to do good things, we have good intentions. We're not being faithful. God does not ask, ask us for sacrifice. He asks us for obedience. Amen. He wants us to do what He has told us to do. There's times when we see a ministry. And I had to, I had to teach myself this lesson. And I still have to remind myself this lesson. We see a ministry say, man, that'd be really good. The community needs that. The church needs that. I'm just going to do it because no one else is doing it. You may rob somebody of a blessing. That ministry might have been for someone else that needs to be done. Their anointing for that situation might have been on another person. But because you stepped in out of just the fear of, of it not getting done, the blessing of God is not upon it. And all of a sudden... We don't see the Spirit doing what the Spirit was designed to do. You see, part of our unfaithfulness may not be in doing bad things. It may just be in not doing what God has told us that He wants us to do. And that's something we have to discern. The Bible tells us to discern the spirits to see if they are of God. Sometimes we can be led to a lot of things that isn't God leading us. Sometimes people, and I get really tickled with this, sometimes people will come and say, God has told me that you need to do this. 
Now I thought, well, that's interesting. The first question is, why didn't God tell me? And number two, how did God tell you? How did he speak to you? Did he email you? How was this communication taking place? Because the reality is, you know, I feel if God wants me to do something, he's going to speak to me. And the same thing for you. Um, I may be pastor of the church, but if I come to you and say, listen, God told me that he wants you to do this, this, and this, there's a good chance I'm not telling the complete truth because uh, I may see your talents, I may see your skills, I may encourage you a certain direction, but my first thing I'm going to tell you is you need to go home and pray about this first. Don't jump into something that you may not be cut out for. Let God lead you, not the pastor, not the people around you, not your family even. Your family can push you a certain way. Listen, let God lead you and be found faithful. The next thing we see in the second kid is that God will not have compassion on the unrepentant. We see in verses uh, 6 through 7, they talk of a daughter named, and I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, but I'm going to give it a good shot here, Lohuramana, and as he speaks about this daughter, it means she is not loved. So we see God speaking of the nation of Israel. And he says he will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. That's really harsh speaking against a nation that is God's chosen people. Now it doesn't say that they're no longer God's chosen people. But what he says, he will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel. You see, Israel's continued unfaithfulness results in a reproach from God. We need to realize that, that as we see Israel continue down the same path, we cannot continue down the same path in our lives as well and say, you know what? God's going to forgive me anyways. I'll do what I want to do. God will get over that. It doesn't work that way. It reminds me of the story of Balaam and his donkey, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Balaam was deceived or, or, or led into trying to persecute or curse the people of God. And, and God stepped up and he said, no, we don't want you to do that. And the people came back and said, you do it anyways, we'll give you money. And money talks. So he went and followed the money and not God. Well, as he's on this donkey, he's going to disobey God. God sends the Spirit of the Lord down with a sword in his pathway to stop Balaam from disobeying God. You see, Balaam was not going to go about and do what he wanted to do without having repercussions for his actions. He was going to pay the price for his sin. He was going to have to pay the price for being unfaithful. Now, thankfully, in Balaam's situation, that donkey had more sense than Balaam because as the donkey saw the Spirit of the Lord standing in his path, that donkey done everything he could to keep Balaam from plowing into that sword head first and destroying himself. And the whole time, Balaam is beating that poor old donkey to death, wanting to go for him, that donkey's trying to save Balaam's life. We're the same way a lot of times as Christians. God will speak to us through his word and say, you ought not do that, or you need not to do that, or the spirit that's in your heart will convict you and say, you need to get away from that situation, get away from what you're doing, change your ways, repent, give, go back to God, all these things, and yet we say, no, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worry about me. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good woman. No, I may not be doing what you want, Lord, but I'm doing as good as I can. That's not what God has called us to. God has called us to live in a continual state of repentance. We must die to ourselves daily. And I say we because I'm no better. Every day I have to look at Justin and say, what can I do to be more faithful to God? What can I do to live a little bit better and get a little bit closer to God? It doesn't just end at the altar. It doesn't end at the baptistry. It should continue on until you are called home or you're raptured out of here. If you've quit growing, then there's a problem somewhere. I guarantee those of you that grow gardens, a lot of you plant flowers or something, if your flower, your bush, or your, your plant, or whatever you're growing don't grow, 
you're going to start trying to change things up. You're going to change the fertilizer, try to water it more, put some miracle grow on that thing, whatever you do to grow stuff. When you In your life, it should be the same way. In your life, when you see yourself spiritually stagnant, spiritually not growing, spiritually stuck, you need to repent. You may not see your error right there in that moment, but if you get some one-on-one time with God and say, Lord, I, I need you to show me where I'm messing up at. Show me, convict me of where I need to repent. Lord's going to be faithful if you're a Christian. If he's not convicted, you may have another bigger problem. You may just be lost and not realize it. Because the Bible tells us that a good father chastises his children. If I ask God, I say, Lord, I, and I've had to do this in my life, I say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not spiritually growing. Where, where in my life do I need to prune the Lord shows me. And I, it's my responsibility then to prune that and make God number one in my life. You see, the nation of Israel, in 701 B.C., we see 185,000 Assyrians killed in one night. And that's referring there into verse 7 where it talks of the house of Judah. Now, what had happened here, when we see the book of Hosea, Israel was really high on themselves. Israel had a lot of money. Israel had a lot of pride. So they reserved the name Israel for Israel at this point. Jerusalem, they saw they were, they were second-class citizens of the nation of Israel. But the funny thing about it is when we see this, the nation of Israel the ones always get in trouble. And it's the same thing with our lives. Sometimes we're blessed so much we find ourselves in trouble. It makes us unfaithful because we've gotten too comfortable. Now Jerusalem Judah were the good guys here in verse 7. They were the ones who were doing their best to follow God. They weren't perfect. But they were following God a whole lot closer than what Israel was. So what does God do? God takes down 185,000 Syrians in one night. They're camped outside Jerusalem. So here you have the city of Jerusalem. These Assyrians camped round about, waiting to invade and destroy the city. And in one night, God eliminates 185,000 men. Historical, folks. It ain't just in the Bible. History tells us that they were annihilated, wiped out. This little small city didn't the manpower do that. How did it happen? God moved on their behalf. If you want God to move on your behalf, you cannot live an unfaithful life. You have to be found seeking after God. We sometimes are wanting to live one leg in the world, one leg in the church, and, and God won't bless in those situations. It don't mean you may not have a relationship, but it means you may not have the blessings of the Lord. He may not answer your prayers. You may not have the joy of your salvation. You may not enjoy the fellowship with God. You may go through all kinds of spiritual and physical judgments because of the life you're living. I want to be like Judah. I want to be like Jerusalem and have, have God there waiting to defend me at all times. This world is a scary place. And to have the Lord on your side, you must be found faithful. You see, Judah had godly leadership, good, good uh, spiritual examples. While that northern kingdom was always falling back into pagan worship. You can ask yourself that question now. What are you worshiping in your life? Are you worshiping Jesus Christ? Is He number one in your life? Do you look strange to the outside world? Because you should. The world should look at you and say, Why are they wasting so much time praying and studying that book and, and, and talking about God? Why are they so faithful? Why are they so uh, full of faith that they conquer fear with their very faith? But often the world sees us and they see themselves. That's not faithful, church. That's when we have a spiritual problem there. 
The next thing we see here in verses 8 through 9 is that God will withdraw because of our disobedience. Now, it does not mean that God is just casting us aside and eliminating us. That means that hand of God, that protection upon our life is taken away. We look at the story of David. He's a perfect example of the prodigal. David did not, uh, did not no longer have God. He still knew God. He still knew he needed to go back to God. But he sinned against God, and he faced judgment from God. We see in the book of Hosea here, God is warning that Israel will face judgment. That next uh, child, Loomi, means not my people. Now that's harsh. When God is looking at a group of people and saying, they are not my people, doesn't mean that they are... uh, 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 that he did not have that covenant with Abraham still. God is not a liar. He's not going to break his covenant. What that means is he is not dwelling with them. He's not fellowshipping with them. He is not uh, blessing them. You see, first off, the Lord removes his protection from Israel. They're going to be invaded. They're going to be taken over. They're going to suffer hardships at the hand of other leaders. And we actually see in, in some of the other minor prophets here, as these people invaded Israel... God was leading some of the enemies of Israel because he wanted to judge Israel. Israel had sinned against God and they deserved the punishment in which they got. So, well, that's not the loving God I thought he was. It doesn't change. God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And we get what we deserve. In fact, if you're saved, you get better than what you deserve. But any judgment comes upon you, you've brought it upon yourself. Listen, if you are here and you're lost, you're going to face God's judgment. And that's going to be at the great white throne judgment that all those that are lost face the wrath of God or are cast into the lake of fire when He says, Depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. But even as a Christian, you can face judgment from God. If you're a Christian and you're unfaithful, God can cause physical problems, God can cause financial problems, God can do whatever it takes to shake you up and get your attention. My prayer is that God keeps my attention. I don't have to go through that. I don't want the chastisement rod of God upon me no more than I have to. Because it can be harsh. But just like the Bible talks there in the New Testament, when um, you see Peter, I believe it is, talking about um, an individual in the church. And I think it's Paul. Paul's an individual in the church. And he says that uh, they have shipwrecked their faith and he is going to turn them over to Satan and it's for the saving of the flesh. And what it means by that is that the flesh will be destroyed that spiritually they can grow stronger. That they will suffer, but they are suffering to draw them back to God. Let me tell you something. It's a stark warning here that if you are unfaithful, you will pay the price. Church, don't be found unfaithful. Don't lose God's blessing. Don't, don't, don't lose the God being there to answer your prayers. So I'm a child of God. God wouldn't do me that way. If God done Israel that way, then being God's chosen people, why do we think we're any better? Yes, God loves us. But God loves us enough to not allow us to destroy ourselves. He'll do whatever it takes to chastise us and bring us back uh, to the point we need to be with our own children. None of us like to discipline our children. We love our children. We don't want to have to punish them, but we punish them out of love. We chastise them out of love, and God judges and chastises us out of His love for us. And we see that verses 10 through 11. You see, we see all throughout chapter 1 there, judgment, suffering, turmoil. And we kept thinking, how can a loving God do this to His people? Well, verse 10 11 tells us, 
It's to restore us. Restoration. Getting back together in an intimacy only comes through God. When you're born into this world, you're born into the flesh, and you are apt to sin because we have an Adam nature. And as we sin and transgress God, we have no relationship from that point forward with God. Now, there's only one way we can receive that relationship back to God. It is through by the accepting of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the payment on the cross of Calvary. It says there in verse 11 that the children of Judah and the children of Israel will be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, that one head that will reunite the nations of Israel, that reunite us back to God, that knit together the church, that one head is Jesus Christ, which is the chief cornerstone of the church. He is the blood that was shed on Calvary. He was the unblemished Lamb of God. He done everything that needed to be done that we could have a relationship with God. You can't be restored back to God from your sinful self in any other way. Can't be done. You can't work yourself in. You can't religion yourself in. There is no check-off list to get into heaven. It is simply by throwing yourselves on the mercies of God and allowing Jesus Christ to wash your sins away. You see, God here... While Israel has suffered uh, through judgments, Israel has been punished for their, their infidelity and their unfaithfulness. In the end, in verse 10, we see that they will be completely restored back to victorious living through Jesus Christ. Even if you are a Christian here today and you have been living unfaithful, you've not been what you ought to be doing, you're not living as close to God, you look back and say, you know what? I used to be so close to the Lord. I used to be on fire for the Lord. I used to serve the Lord. I used to be so passionate for the Lord. But I've just lost interest. The smallest thing throws me on a spiritual uh, whirlwind and I just get away from God for a period of time. It doesn't have to remain that way. Jesus Christ wants to restore us through rededicating our lives and reconciling us back to an intimacy, a closeness with God. doesn't mean the relationship is severed, but it means our closeness to God is no longer there. It's just like a marriage relationship. You may be married, but if you lay out all night long going here, going there, and not spending time with your spouse, you're not going to be very close. Yeah, you still got a contractual agreement that you are wedded together, but yet you don't have a closeness. And I guarantee they're not going to, you're not going to come home to many good hot dinners at that point in your life because you destroyed your intimacy. You don't want to be together any longer because of how horribly you've wrecked your relationship. Well, there's people today in God's church, not just our local church, but in the universal church, Big C Church, that has wrecked the relationship with God because of their unfaithfulness. They're, they're, they're letting the world creep in and they're looking for convenient religion instead of sacrificial service, which is what we're called to. We're called to present our bodies a living sacrifice, the Bible says. And that is, it is our duty to do that. As God has presented a sacrifice for our salvation. As God has given us a way to escape His very wrath. You see, when God saves us, what He saves us from is He saves us from Himself. Because the one day the wrath of God be poured out upon this world. And those that are not saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb are going to face that wrath of God. But just as Israel here is saved from the judgment... If you want to be saved from the judgment of God, be it in the judgment of your life, a physical judgment, be it in the judgment of the, the wrath of the, the years of tribulation that the lost will face, or be it at the great white throne judgment, the final judgment, when it says that the lost be cast a lake of fire with the Antichrist and the devil and the false prophet, the only way to save yourself from that judgment is through and by Jesus Christ. 
You see, the world is trying to find so many ways to save this planet right now. They're trying to pass laws and regulations. They're trying uh, all this Eastern self-help stuff and all these different programs. All that stuff is for nothing. It's going to burn up. Everything you see is going to be destroyed. And the only way to persevere is by placing your faith in that one head the Bible talks about there, Jesus Christ. He is the door to the sheepfold. If you want to get into the flock, get into God's flock, you have to go through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the light. And no one can come to the Father but by Him. It's not by even a walk down the aisle or a trip into the water. It's by you are saved, the book of Ephesians, saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. God has prepared that gift in His Son, Jesus Christ. He has wrapped it in blood and He has prepared it for us. The Bible says that the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of forgiveness. I need a lot of mercy. I need a lot of grace. And I'm not going to find it in this world. I'm not going to find it in a job. I'm not going to find it in a politician or political party. The only way I'm going to find it is through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that by His stripes we may be healed. Well, God does heal physically. I believe that with all my heart. I believe He can do whatever He wants to do. He's God. But He also heals spiritually. And sin is a sickness. Now being lost is not just a sickness. It's a state of being. It's, it's, it's the way you are. But that sin is your symptom. When you're lost, you can't do nothing but sin. You've got nothing but your Adam nature. You don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. But you can receive that. You can escape the wrath. You can escape the judge. You can escape all the things that the Bible warns us about. 